Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. It's going to be a beautiful day today. Yeah. So when you guys uh, buy a new car, buy we just bought a new car um, not that long ago. We upgraded to a minivan. It, it has been life changing, okay? For our family of three, we were in a small SUV that I love so much, but it felt like we were living in a one-bedroom apartment, and then when we got our minivan, it was like, wow, what have we been missing this whole time? Um, but when you buy a, a new car or a big purchase, like a big new TV, what's the first thing you do? It's probably opening up the manual, right? You educate yourself on the features of the new purchase. You make sure you understand how the whole system works, the settings. Nah, that's not what you do. No, no one's spending time doing that. You can't wait to just turn on the car and start driving, right? You just want the experience of what is it like to drive this new vehicle. For me, the van was like, Oh, I can't hear you back there. This is so great. You can just figure out your life back there, and I'll drive up here, and I don't even, I don't even touch my husband. Look at how much space I have, right? There's just, it's so roomy. It's nice. You know, if you get a new TV, uh, you're going to turn it on, right? You want the experience of the crisp 4K and the, the color and the clarity. Um, you want that experience. And then sooner or later, you, you run into a problem. You don't understand a setting on the, in your car on, you know, or the TV. You're going to pull out the manual. You might look up a specific question, problem. You're going to look at the instructions, but that's, that comes second. Well, the book of Ephesians that we've been studying is kind of split into these two halves that uh, scholars talk about, right? So there's the first half, which we just made it through, uh, chapters one through three. And then there's the second half, four through six. And the first half, one through three, is kind of like that big picture experience, right? We've been talking about how it's this grand view of the church and this grand vision of what the church is and the identity that the church has and the purpose that the church has. And it's that, that, that sweeping symphony and that Sears Tower view, right? It's this, this all-encompassing, uh, glorious view of this family, the church body. And then we kind of break away into the instruction manual, four through six. Okay, so this big vision of the church, this identity of, of us and the church, well, well, how do we live it out? How do we have the instructions to live out this new church family life? And so that's kind of where we're transitioning to, four through six, the kind of people that we become as followers of Christ and how we should live. So this morning's instruction manual kind of focuses on two things, and it's living into our call and living into our gifts. Living into our call, living into our gifts. So we're going to start in Ephesians 4, um, 1 through 6 this morning. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, this is Paul talking, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. 
always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. This, this first sentence, um, as he opens up in chapter 4, is a big therefore. And therefore is always referencing to, because all of the things that Paul already said are true, this next thing that he says is abundantly true. So it's kind of referencing back, and it's kind of like, Okay, all the things that he said in chapters 1 through 3 culminate to say what? Live into your call. Lead a life worthy of your calling. Now, he's not necessarily talking about whether you're uh, a professor or a teacher or a nurse Although your calling does get lived out in your job, he is talking about the foundational call that we just learned about, that we all have as sons and daughters of Christ. And he's given us this rich overview of our call in chapters 1 through 3. And it's the fact that we have been adopted into this new family of God. And he's begging us, he's begging us to remember this identity and live fully into it in our call. And I'm just going to give you a quick highlight of a few of those reminders from chapters 1 through 3, the things that we've been given as fuel to live out this call. We've been given every spiritual blessing. We are holy, blameless, chosen, adopted. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We receive wisdom and revelation. You and I are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're made alive with Christ. We've been saved and raised with him. We were created for good works. We were brought near, and we receive peace. We have access to the Father. We are members of God's family. We are the dwelling place of God's Spirit. We have unlimited resources in Christ. We have inner spiritual strength. Our hearts are Christ's home, filled with his glorious, unending love. Those are the things we're to remember and live into as our calling. Chapters 1 through 3, it's like a blueprint for our identity. It's a stamp. And I, th I think it's one, of those, it's, it's one of those sections of Scripture that you should go back to often. Man, when you notice, I am, I'm in some negative thought patterns 
I have some behavior that's going off the, the rails here. Where do you go back to to center yourself? Ephesians 1 through 3, pull it out. I mean, you don't even have to go further than chapter 1, and you've already like, got a, just a whole dose of identity to sit with and repeat and dwell on and, until you feel it actually settle into your soul. Because we let a lot of other things other than Scripture kind of tell us who we are or what we should focus on in our identity, right? But Paul is urging us to live into this calling that is true about us. Now, if you were to scroll through Instagram right now, open up your Instagram if you have Instagram, I bet that there is some amazing algorithm that is tailored just for you that is telling you all the identities that you should care about, right? And uh, they're going to they're gonna remind you of the things that you should give your loyalty to that, that are other than Jesus, right? And those things, they subtly just continue to kind of to influence, influence us and remind us of things that aren't necessarily true about our calling. If you looked at my Instagram, you might notice that it is reminding me how I should be a better parent, right? All the parenting tips I can learn by following so-and-so. Um, how I could maybe organize my life better. How I can have a beautifully decorated house. Uh, maybe I, how I can be a more productive person. Um, how I can be more on trend or more athletic or do this workout. Um, save money. I mean, the, the things that are targeted for me are very specific and often play into the things that I want to be true about me, but sometimes aren't, right? But those things draw us in and they, oh, oh I should give my loyalty to this. This is who I should be. This is who I should be striving for. And this is where I place my value. And Paul is begging, no, your focus should be on leading a life worthy of all the things that Christ has given you. And this Greek word worthy is the word axios, which means counterbalancing. So it means weighing as much as. And you can see my illustration up here. So in ancient Greek culture, right, this is a means of, of weighing. It's a scale, a counterbalancing scale. And it's this ancient tool, you know, you've seen this, the two pans, and they're hanging equal distance connected by that, that center balance. And so you would use like a standard weight of some sort on one side. Uh, for our purposes, let's say a pound, right? We understand a pound. So you might put a pound of something, the standard weight, a pound on one side, and then you could measure anything on the other side from feathers to spices to whatever you want. And <clears throat> you wanted them to counterbalance each other. So you'd put the weight on one side, and then you would adjust the other side until both pans were even, and then you would know the weight of something. Um, and so it's this word that worthy, that means counterbalance. It's equivalent equivalent. It's equal. It's in equilibrium to each other. 
And, and Paul is saying we need to live lives that are equal to this calling that we've received. We've received so much in Jesus. We just talked about it, chapters 1 through 3. We need to live a life that's counterbalanced, that's worthy to all that Christ has given us. The way we live should, should match the great wealth of identity and inheritance that we've received in Christ. N.T. Wright, he's a, a scholar, and he says, a key part of this calling is the Christian hope, which works like this. Because King Jesus has conquered death itself, all who have given him their faithful allegiance are assured that same victory will be theirs as well. This is the calling to which they must live up. At every moment, in every decision, with every word and action, they are to be aware that the call to follow Jesus the Messiah and give him their complete loyalty takes precedence over everything else. Now that's a challenging way to live. That's why Paul is begging and urging us to, to remember to live like this. Because, you know, we can have all the things we've received from Christ on one side, and we counterbalance that with, with sin that weighs us down, with the sin of others that weighs us down, with circumstances, uh, life stress, right? Trauma and crisis, personality struggles and flaws. I mean, it's it just like, well, okay, we're... We're out of balance, right? That happens often. But the good news is, like, this is the, the work of spiritual maturity until Christ comes back. And the good news is that he is doing this work in and through us. He gives us the abundant grace to do it. He says that he will forgive us and bring us back to counterbalance. He helps us as we confess our sin to him and one another. He heals us and binds up our broken hearts. He helps us live into the call that he has for us. And it's, it's an ongoing work. You know, you might feel like, okay, let's, let's take uh, anger, right? Like, that's a counter, something that you see like, okay, I need, I need Christ to work inside of me on my anger. And so you start working on that area with him, and, and maybe you see some progress, and you're not reacting so harshly, and you see him bringing some wholeness to maybe the roots of where that anger first started for you in your life, and you see him bring that wholeness back, and you celebrate that. And then something else happens, and you're like, oh, but I'm back over here again. That's okay. That is the work of Christ being formed in us. And we have unlimited resources in Christ to do this. He gives us unlimited resources to live a life that's worthy of the call that he gives us. The pursuit of Christ-like living like this is not meant to be done alone. We're meant to do it as a church body and in community, right? 
he says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. We are to uphold this unity that we've been given. This unity um, is something that he, he paid for to accomplish. Unity is not something that we just work really hard to accomplish ourselves. No, we're going to fail at it, okay? Unity is a gift of the Spirit. And we are being called to, to cultivate it and to steward that gift that we've been given. It is a gift given because Christ broke down the wall of hostility. He bore hostility. He put it to death in his body on the cross, and he gave us this gift of unity. He died to achieve the one body, the one spirit, the one hope, the one Lord, the one faith, one baptism. He died to achieve this unity amongst us. Now, yes, there can be nuanced differences among us. We're going to fall on different spectrums, and that's okay, but the central thing of our faith is one God and Father who is over all, in all, and living through all. We have the bond of the Spirit living in us. This is Paul's vision of the church, and it's under attack always. The world is plagued by division. And when it is plagued by division, we kind of cope as humans by becoming even more tribalized, right? Just escaping more to our areas where I'm over here in this thought category and you're over there in that uh, world. And we just kind of like sink even further apart um, into our little... <laughs> corners. That's kind of how we cope with the division. And Paul is saying, no, we're not like the world. We pursue this gift of unity. It's the exact opposite of the world. When the world is divided, we're united. And, and it's challenging to maintain this gift of the Spirit. But Paul gives us Four virtues that are really helpful to maintaining this gift of unity. To lead these lives worthy of the call. And first, he says, be humble. Always be humble. So humility, what does that look like? Humility, it, it doesn't mean like looking down on yourself or thinking lower of yourself. Humility is actually quite the opposite. It's, it's seeing yourself like God sees you, to know that you have infinite value and worth, but not any more than the person next to you. That's how we stay in humility. It also means to acknowledge that God is the true source. He's the source of life. You are not. You are not the center of the world. You know, when we prioritize ourselves at the, as the center, that's when we starve this unity. 
But when we acknowledge, okay, God is the source of life and he has supreme authority over life and I'm here to serve you, God. I'm here to serve others. Then, then the needs of the community are met because we're looking to each other, not as better, but we're looking to love and serve. Then he says, be gentle. So always be humble and gentle. Gentleness is our attitude towards others. It's power under control. Because gentleness takes a lot of control and strength. To be gentle takes strength. So if you've ever had a toddler, I have a toddler, this uh, phrase, power under control, is like my daily uh, challenge to have power under much control, <laughs> right? I have a lot of power as a parent, okay? Um, and it takes a lot of work to, to respond gently to children and to a toddler. So one of my friends posted on Facebook some toddler memes, and I thought they were great. And so I, I picked out a few, and that you might be, I'll read them because it might be kind of small. The first one, when you give your toddler the wrong color plate. <laughs> okay, this is true in my house. Probably happened this morning. Okay. Me, you will not dump your dinner on the floor. My toddler, don't believe me, just watch. True in my house. Okay. Let's see. Reason my toddler is crying. I can't draw thunder. True in my house. My littlest one often wants us to draw something and will scream when it can't be drawn. Well, yep, mm-hmm. Toddler life asks for a sandwich, cries because it's not cut the right way, refuses to eat the sandwich, but then goes on to have a meltdown when you take away that sandwich. True. Toddler life is a constant challenge and a constant challenge to my character to have this power under control. Because when you have this small tyrant reacting to you in such, uh, like, un it doesn't match the situation, right? You sometimes just want to lose it. And this has been uh, just a journey of my parenting, you know? Gentleness, power under control. And I'll tell you, like, the whole world is like a big toddler, right? The world is just a big toddler having extreme reactions to every scenario and situation that comes up. And how do we respond in the body of Christ to have power under control, to be gentle with each other? Patience. Patience, it's this steadfast endurance that we have the, the capacity to accept and tolerate delay or trouble or suffering without getting mad and needing to retaliate. And that's hard. And this is, this is a, patience is a, is a, 
virtue and the way we relate to God too because he doesn't always work on our timetables and he doesn't always work in the, in the ways we want him to work in our life. And how do we have patient endurance with him in our faith and with one another? These are virtues of maintaining this unity of the spirit. And the last one is bearing with one another's weakness making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Man, this is giving like unending grace to one another. And that's hard because there we will be displeased by one another. We will be offended by one another. And so we choose to not let those offenses and those disagreements and those things that annoy us to break down the gift of unity that we've been given? How do we hold those things in, in counterbalance with the unity of the Spirit? That's our challenge. And we can, we can be certain that this is going to be under constant attack. This unity, this precious gift of unity, because it was the very thing that Jesus prayed for. In John 17, he was, he was praying to God, I pray that they would be one, Father. I pray that the church would be one, like you and I are one. Like Jesus existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit, this amazing unity in the Trinity. He wanted that for us more than anything. He prayed that we would be one. Why? probably for our own enjoyment, right? The Trinity is a, a happy, coexisting Trinity. They, I mean, think about how much love and joy and happiness is there as they are united. And then it's also our witness to the world. Unity is our witness to the world. It's the exact opposite of what we see in the world. I mean, how can those people be united? I don't know. How can we be united? Through the Spirit. It's a gift of the Spirit. So we live into our call, and then we live into our gifts. So moving on, in um, verse 7, he says, However... He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So he's saying, 
each one of us has been given a gift to participate in this unified body, building up each other, maturing, growing, coming in counterbalance, being worthy of our call. We've each been given a gift to participate in this life of the new family of God. And it's from the abundant grace of Jesus. Now, we've, we just celebrated the Super Bowl, right? Did you guys watch the Super Bowl? Yeah? Were you happy about the win? Eh, okay. <laughs> uh, so the Rams, right, they clinched the victory at the end over the Bang Bengals. And one of the beloved gifts that the players receive after their victory is a nice Super Bowl ring, right? All the players get one. And I learned that the first Super Bowl ring was actually given to the Green Bay Packers in uh, 1967, right? And their Super Bowl ring had just one uh, central diamond. It was a very modest design, right? Okay, now over the years, we've just kind of uh, elaborated on those Super Bowl rings, you know, and they've, they've gotten more and more extravagant as the years have gone by. And last year's ring given to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had a total of 319 diamonds, okay? So we've progressed a lot since 1967, okay? And last year's ring um, had this special feature that you like clicked off the top and on the inside you revealed this like engraved uh, replica of the team's stadium in there. And so it was like very fancy. Um, and so we will, we'll have to see what this year brings. But they just keep getting uh, more and more extravagant. So back to Paul's passage. Why am I talking about the Super Bowl? So he's describing, and it can, this passage can kind of be confusing if you've read it before. Okay, he's ascended and descended and giving gifts and leading this, uh, these captives. And what's going on? So he is referencing, actually, Psalm 68, okay? And this psalm is a victory psalm written by King David when he was celebrating a, con a military conquest over a city. And he describes this victory parade, um, going up to Mount Zion and attributing the, the military victory to God. And it's, it was known that historically a king after they won a military victory, you know, they would collect the spoils of war and they would give gifts to the people, okay? And then additionally, <clears throat> if you were uh, a soldier taken captive by the enemy, you would be brought back and paraded in a, in a hometown parade in front of the crowd and, and shown that you were celebrating your freedom, right? You were, you were set free because you were once held captive by the enemy. So, you know, you imagine the Super Bowl players, right? They received their victory, and now they are going to their hometown and being paraded in front of everyone, and they get these gifts of, you know, 313 diamond rings. And, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a cultural picture, right, to understand what Christ has done. So he descended here on earth. 
He was incarnated in human form, and he gave himself up for us on the cross. He victoriously won the battle over evil. And now he's ascended back to heaven, and we've been freed. We get to celebrate his victory because we were the captives held by evil. And now we are celebrating his victory that he's accomplished on the cross, and he's ascended to heaven, and he gives gifts to us through his grace. And he gives gifts of the Holy Spirit that we get to participate with him in his mission here on earth. And these are gifts that are way more precious than 300 diamond rings because we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in us. And this Holy Spirit is the one that gives us extraordinary power and special abilities to accomplish this work of carrying out his kingdom, of discipling people, of inviting people into new relationships with him, of healing and equipping, speaking the word. Spiritual gifts are, <clears throat> are really at the heart of Jesus' strategy to build his church. It's how we all participate and live into our call, live into our gifts. And the, the gift list that Paul gives here, um, these gifts, their, their primary mission is to minister the word of God so that everyone is equipped to be on this adventure of the kingdom with him. And then the whole body is built up. The whole body is flourishing. The whole body is healthy. Everybody has a gift. And everybody has good works that God planned long ago, Ephesians 3, that he invites us to walk into. It's beautiful. Now, <clears throat> maybe you have one of these gifts, and you don't even know it. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. When Paul was originally writing these gifts, you know, he wasn't, there was no institutionalized church like today, right? So you think all oh, these gifts are like the staff and leaders only of the church. But when he was writing it, the church was, was just people meeting together, right? So these gifts were among the people. There wasn't necessarily one person being paid to be the pastor, right? The, the pastors were among the people, pastoring the people. And so we have to understand the, the context in which it was given initially and then be able to see how it is for us today. And God wants us to use our gifts to produce this mature body of believers. Without it, Paul goes on to, to say how we become very vulnerable to every passing philosophy and worldview if we're not maturing together as a unified body. And we especially become vulnerable in anxious times, in divisive times, 
when we're feeling fragile, right, as a society. We have, without maturity, we have a hard time discerning what is true and untrue, what is healthy and what's unhealthy. And so Paul goes on to say that as we mature as a body, this helps us because we're not going to be influenced when people try to trick us or we won't be tossed around and blown around by every wind of teaching. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has a special work to be done in the body of Christ so that we're all healthy, we're all growing, and we're all full of the love of Christ. Now, his gift list here, I mean, it isn't complete. There are other places where he adds to this list of gifts. But these kind of gifts he mentions here were crucial to establishing that first generation of the church. So the apostles. The apostles were uh, witnesses to the resurrection, right? So they were commissioned with this message, and they were commissioned with authority to spread that message. They, and continue today, apostles continue today to establish the message of Jesus in a given context. They come with authority. They help the whole thing to thrive. They kind of set the groundwork for the church to thrive. Prophets, they were really important in, in the beginning because they didn't have the New Testament yet, right? It was like being written. So the prophets were really people that could come and guide and direct the church um, into truth and clarity. And today, prophets continue to listen to God and to speak God's word into a specific situation. You know, they, they are attuned to God, and then they're attuned to the world. They're looking for God's insight and understanding and wisdom and challenge into the, into the context. Evangelists were uh, originally proclaimers of the good news, that the truth was Jesus, the crucified Jesus, really did rise again from the dead, and he really was the true Messiah. That was, their, that was their initial calling. And evangelists continue to share the good news today. Often people that are gifted in evangelists, it's like they, they almost are good news in themselves. They just can't help but articulating good news to others about Jesus. Now pastors, which is also shepherds, you know, sometimes we get hung up on pastors because we, we, we know it as a title, right? But it's also shepherding. It's, just, it's equal terms. And pastors then were look, overseers of these young little groups of congregations, right? And today, the same characteristics 
caring, compassionate, willing to walk alongside people for the long haul to see them grow and flourish. And teachers, they were people trained to understand the scriptures, to speak truth. And we see that today. Teachers are people that hold out the truth for people to understand. So these gifts, they're very important to the church then and to the church today. You know, there's no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. And there's no insignificant gift in the kingdom of God. We all belong in this new family that God has created. And he wants us all to contribute to this new family. Because as we all contribute, we grow into the greater maturity that he has for us. We become counterbalanced into the unified body that he desires. So two call to actions um, as we close. The first one, keep pursuing your call. So ask the question, um, God, where might I need you to help me find more balance? God, what area are you, you highlighting in my, in my heart to work on? You know, when you hear those virtues of gentleness and patience, allowing for each other's faults, humbleness, could be something else. Ask that this week. The last thing, keep pursuing your gifts. Ask God, what have you gifted and wired me for? Do you know that about yourself? And if not, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And you can think, what do I find joy doing? That can give you a, you know, a hint towards it. What do I come alive in when I'm doing this with you, for you, with other people? What have you gifted and wired me for? So keep pursuing your call and keep pursuing your gifts. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your church body, what you have done to give us this new family. We're so thankful that we belong to it. What a privilege we have to be a part of your family to receive all these things that we have in you. Thank you for your unlimited resources to help us live lives that are worthy of your call. Thank you for giving us gifts and wiring each one of us to participate uniquely in your family. How fun that you think of us. God, I pray that you would, your spirit would just uh, be invited here as we worship and that we would connect with you through song as we sing. We love you, Jesus. Amen. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org.
lifemohammed.org.